Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight we continue the collateral damage of injustice. That continues on this program tonight as we really uncover the corruption and the things going on behind the wall in America's prisons. But what is the effect on families, on children, on our society as collateral damage continues to spiral out of control? This is AJC Radio. Folks, hang on. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart, Sampson Riddle, and Dennis Merritt. And our new addition to the team, Kendrick Barnes, known as one of the IRP5. He's joining us tonight, and not only tonight only, he is part of this team now here at AJC Radio, and we welcome him tonight on this program, as well as all of our listeners across this country. Folks, feel free to dial in tonight at 646-200-0628. That's 646-200-0628. And I'll tell you what, Samson, this aims to be a serious discussion. We have been blown away, if you will, week after week uh, since coming back, uh, uh, of course, after the holiday break. But I'll tell you right now, this continues to be a major issue as we go forward. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, we've been hitting this for at least three weeks solid now, and the more we get into it, the deeper that just the, the corruption of the system, the victims, the, like we mentioned, the collateral damage that reaches out to the family members and loved ones of those that have been wrongfully convicted. I mean, we've had guests after guests here that are just attesting to the things that they've seen, the things they've gone through, and it's horrific. And I just I can't wait to dive into the show tonight and just, just keep bringing it to the forefront and never let people forget that the injustices that our brothers and sisters are, are facing behind the wall. And absolutely right. And uh, not only are we talking about uh, the wrongful conviction issue, we're talking about what is going on behind the wall of injustice. The injustices think, well, the, the only person that's suffering is the person that gets locked up. That's absolutely untrue. We're talking about people who are dying, dying, family, loved ones, parents, children that are suffering. As a result, who are collateral damage? We started this series talking about LaWanna Banks-Clark, all the things that was pressured on her for ever since this injustice started with the RP5, what she suffered as part of her wrongful conviction going to a uh, federal prison camp in Arizona for six months without any calls for that. Uh, ultimately, the pressure, and we, we told you in the beginning of this, of this series ultimately contributed to her death. Uh, we're going to deal with all of this, folks. It may not be a comfortable subject that you want to talk about, but we're going to talk about it because lives after lives continue to be lost in this process. Kendrick, your thoughts on that? That your, your family is also in prison with you. And uh, being someone who's experienced it for myself, I know what the loss feels like when you stare into your loved one's eyes and you see that longing, how they really want to somehow ease the pain and they can't. That adds pressure that you don't understand. Only a person that's going through that can really understand how they feel. 
And week after week after week, when you they come for a visit, they have to relive that separation every time, driving away from that facility, wondering, are they going to come back next week and you're still going to be there safe? That's the thing that no one looks at is how do those family members and those loved ones, how does it affect them that they have a person that they know was innocent and got sent to prison and that they're in, a, they're in perpetual danger, a potential danger yep. each and every week? Well, absolutely right. We're going to be talking about Michael Anderson tonight, folks, on this program. Uh, we call him a murder victim by the Florence prison camp here in Colorado uh, that we believe, we believe and the mother actually stated. We're going to play that interview for you tonight where she said the coroner told her to get an attorney. Uh, Florence Prison here in Colorado, the prison camp, stated that Mr. Anderson committed suicide. It's highly, that's highly doubtful uh, and probable, given what the coroner has stated to the family of Michael Anderson, uh, who was looking at two years left to go on his sentence. Uh, suddenly and mysteriously, all of a sudden, one Sunday morning, after talking to his mother a week or so prior, of uh, how excited he was to go home, uh, to start his life with his wife and his son, to go hunting, to get a job. Doesn't sound like somebody who's planning to end it on a two-year term uh, in the penitentiary. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, This is going to be really uh, a show that you need to tell all your friends to call and tune in to. We're going to also talk about Joyce Ann Brown, uh, wrongfully wrongfully convicted, uh, went through a lot, passed away, few years back we had her on this show and when she you hear her talk about what she suffered and how she was innocent and how she couldn't believe this was happening this again we don't know what contributed to the death of Joyce Ann Brown we don't know if the pressure of being locked up as long as she was had an impact I can tell you what from what we're hearing and what we're finding out make no mistake about it uh those were years that you can never get back and Joyce Ann Brown can never get back. We're going to hear from that interview. We're also going to be talking to some guests uh, that are going to be joining us. I'm going to be joined by Laura Goldman. Uh, she's a, a Wall Street broker turned journalist, freelance reporter at Daily Mail, also a freelance producer, booker at ABC News. Uh, she's got a story to tell. She's going to talk about what she has seen. Uh, and we're hoping uh, we have another guest. I'm going to refrain from stating who she is. We, we haven't confirmed her yet, uh, but also a survivor uh, really, of going through some things at Rikers Island uh, that uh, we, of course, we've had Kathy, Kathy Morris on who's talked about some of the horrific things that have happened. And again, the people outside here who are listening to their loved ones, who are going to these jails and to go to a visit, to visit your husband and to be told moments later or hours after standing in line to see him that he's dead and he died at 6 a.m., 6.30 this morning while you stand in line to see your husband. Uh, ultimately, in that case, we're going to talk about it. Uh, the son, 19 years old, I believe, said he couldn't live without his father after hearing about his father's death. Went up into the mountains uh, with a loaded gun and shot himself in the head. Uh, collateral damage of injustice. This is AJC Radio. We're coming back with all of this and much more. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if 
mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call or just calls today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Diversity is a huge part of our society. We need it. It's instrumental. Invaluable. If you leave out certain people, you then in turn really limit creativity in society's ability to solve problems. That's what we can do in the next four years. Our world is not singular. There are so many voices and experiences that deserve to be heard and expressed. Diversity is really the key to life. Without diversity, life becomes stagnant. It acknowledges and values the importance of everyone, which makes us as a country even better. Martin Luther King, he had a dream. It was for everybody to be united. To stand up for freedom together. Without diversity, there's no progress. And that's what black history is. Black history. More than a month. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. Stop your friend from drinking and driving. 
you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. I wanted to be in the military since I was, since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. As tonight we continue our discussion in our series, Collateral Damage of Injustice. And we're very happy tonight to have on this set tonight Kendrick Barnes, uh, one of the IRP5, and we're grateful for his presence and his knowledge and insight uh, that he will add uh, to this panel. Kendrick, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we appreciate you, and, and uh, sorry for what you have gone through uh, as a result of injustice, not only you, your family, uh, your friends, your church family as well. Uh, this is an important issue that I don't think people pay much attention to. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago uh, about the young lady whose son was uh, caught up in the system and uh, really was guilty of nothing, but he was targeted uh, ultimately too much of an issue for his mother to survive they found out two weeks later, or I think a few months after he had been back and forth in the system, uh, his mother said she could not deal. Uh, died of a massive heart attack right before he, he was shown that he had done nothing wrong, was released from, from custody. These are the things that people must be held accountable for. And we talk about this, Dennis, all the time uh, in regards to why the process has to be what it is, is because the impact we're talking about body bags now we're talking about people dying in situations people living in despair children's heart children their hearts broken when their parents are taken husbands and wives siblings i mean when do we talk about the human side of this issue and this is when we say collateral damage make no i believe you read a definition a week ago of what collateral damage is is that right dennis I didn't read the definition, but I know exactly what it is. Tell the, folks, tell the folks what it is. What it is is that uh, it's, the, it's that it's that damage that happens because of the uh, imprisonment of, of the inmate. It's, it's what the family goes through. It's the deaths that we've, we've seen and experienced, the suicides. Uh, that's collateral damage. That is the damage that takes place because, you know, people don't look at it. 
when you when someone's in prison, the whole family is in prison. That's that's what they don't understand. And then you you, you talk about loved ones. Just because the 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 uh, the, uh, the guards uh, they don't consider uh, that inmate as a loved one, but the inmates have loved ones. Uh, we care about those that are that are falsely in prison and those that are in prison. Period. When you treat them like animals and you don't treat them like human beings, this is what you get. You get collateral damage. Absolutely, uh, Samson. Uh, yeah, I just got to hear that collateral damage is the death, injury, or other damage inflicted on an unintended target, which is what we're talking about we with go. the family members there right there. You know, and I mean, it, it goes on to talk about the, you know, the military terminology, how it's incidentally killing or wounding of people and stuff like that. But I mean, we're talking, like we, like Dennis was saying, we're, we have family members dying. We have children and loved ones being emotionally, psychologically injured and stuff like that due to the fact that, you know, this process of injustice is being inflicted on, on their family member. Well, let's talk a little bit, a little deeper than that. Let's go the next step higher than that. We have the wrongful conviction. We understand what that is. What about the treatment? No. As we talked about last week in Brooklyn, mm. where inmates are freezing almost to death in cells. Let, let, let's, let's dig, let's go there. And what, what do you as a family member, as a friend, as a member of society, Think of a person banging on a wall asking for help, freezing to death, no heat. What does that do to a society when people are outside that prison needing to call, calling the governor, calling people saying, would you, what if that's your brother, your mother, your mother, your sister, your father behind that wall? That is the collateral damage we're talking about. It's not just the wrongful conviction. How are you treating human beings behind the wall? And you know, Lamont, the saddest part, after all of those injustices, mistreatments, after all of that, you look at like the situation that was in New York. If there was not a public outcry, if there was not someone on the outside who had heard the pounding on the wall who who uh had seen the flashlights and lighters flickering in the in the uh in the cell windows if there was no one there to make a case for the prisoners they would have left them in that state and you're talking about uh, hundreds of men that probably would have starved to death if someone wouldn't have stepped in but without there being exposure of what was going on there Absolutely nothing would have happened. And so it makes you think, what about all the other prisons that are in rural areas? What about the other prisons that, you know, is not they're not readily uh, seen by by, uh, you know, a, a big part of society that these are prisons where, hey, nobody can see you flickering a, a flashlight or a lighter in your cell saying, help us. No one is there to hear. How are those people being treated? Who is coming to their rescue? And that is the saddest part about it, that without exposure, just like you say, you have you have basically barbaric, uh, you know, type of situations where the people who are working there are treating other human beings like they're less than animals. And it, it, it's it's sickening. No, absolutely right. Kendra. And for those out there in Radioland who might be thinking, well, they're they're criminals. Who cares how they're treated? That's not their sentence. 
their sentence was not to be frozen to death. Their sentence was to be separated from society for a length of time. But they do have the guarantee as a United States citizen to be treated humanely with the same rights. The Constitution still applies to each one of those men in there. Number two, we don't know who's behind those walls. You don't know if what crime they committed. You don't know if they're innocent, guilty. They have a right to be treated like a human being. Some of those men have not even went to trial yet. That's right. So they're still fighting their case. So if anyone's out there thinking, well, we don't care. They broke the law. They deserve to suffer. Well, imagine if that was your loved one that you know does not belong there. Or imagine if it was your loved one who you know he made one mistake in his life. This is, it, it was a bad mistake. Does, it deserve, does he deserve not to have heat? Does he deserve not to have medical treatment? No. Does he deserve not to have a proper meal? That's, that's what you have to look at. And, and never forget, these are people. These are human beings behind those walls. No, absolutely right. And I'll tell you what, as I said a, a couple of weeks ago, our prisoners of war in the United right. States right. are treated better. Our enemies of the United States of America are treated better than an accused citizen, not convicted necessarily, as we talked about what happens in jails. These people have not been convicted of a crime, and they're dying in custody in jails all across this country. I'm going to play a quick, uh, a quick clip. Mentally ill U.S. inmate dragged through jail days before his death. Jail. Not conv- not a felon, not convicted, accused. Let's use America's favorite line, innocent, until proven guilty. Let's hear the clip. Elsewhere, a video showing a mentally ill prison inmate in the U.S. being dragged by guards has been made public. You may find the following footage disturbing. Now, Abdul Akbar died in November last year, eight days after this video was shot. He spent more than three hours in a segregation area before being taken to hospital. He was serving a sentence in Detroit for breaking and entering. Initially, doctors concluded that Akbar died of natural causes related to heart disease and not from injuries received during the incident. Detroit police concluded that no criminal activity took place. But after the video emerged, Akbar's daughter filed a wrongful death lawsuit believing the prison guard should be held responsible. Well, we contacted Wayne County Sheriff's Office, which is responsible for the prison, for their response to the allegations. The Wayne County Sheriff's Office conducted a thorough investigation and submitted a warrant request. Although the prosecutor declined to pursue charges, there still remains pending litigation in the U.S. District Court. Accordingly, we are going to refrain from commenting on the case at this time. Well, we discussed mentally ill people being mistreated in U.S. prisons with Michael Wood, a former police officer. He believes that inmates are in danger. This whole system is not built on the same matter of getting people back to where they need to be, to actually helping people. What this really shows is how what can happen to people, especially black Americans, when they go to the prison system and get into the criminal justice system on, on something that's really minor or is, is like technicalities for people that don't deserve uh, to be treated in this manner entirely, to even like be in this situation for, for things that we're clearly not trying to get people uh, 
to improve. We're just doing things to keep making things more difficult for them and then putting them in these kind of situations where they're not even safe in the state's custody. Well, there have been numerous cases of mentally ill inmates abused in U.S. prisons, as documented in a Human Rights Watch report. Released alongside the report was the following footage, which again, you may find disturbing. I don't know, it's kind of funny, I don't know if you're a seizure or not. You get the trouble or not, though. Cut off. In accordance with California Code of Regulations, Title 15, we are authorized to use force, including chemical agents, to physically extract you. Frame again. Oh, what is going on? Well, the issue has attracted the attention of activists from across the country. The Brave New Films group made a documentary on the fact that uh, more people with mental illness are held in jails in the U.S. than in state hospitals. The prison system is ill-equipped to treat people with mental illness. Guards resort to abuse to force compliance. Medical care, including vital medication and therapy, are more often than not neglected. This lack of care leads to horrific encounters which defy our very sense of human decency. Well, there you have it. Um, absolutely horrific. And what are we talking about, folks? We are talking about inhumane conditions. Samson, when you hear the – that's a brief clip. But the desperation, people saying, help me, somebody – and you know what people sit back and do? They laugh about it. Not, you know what, they get, they get what they deserve, that's on them, it doesn't matter. What goes through your mind, Samson, as we talk about this issue of collateral damage of injustice? Well, I mean, when you talk about, like, the guards and everybody that can stand by and, you know, watch this happen or actually participate in inflicting the damage on these people, I mean, these citizens, whether they're incarcerated or not, as, uh, as Kendrick pointed out, they're still United States citizens. Um to torture these people and mistreat them, you have to question their humanity. I mean, the morals, they're gone. Their ethics are gone. So basically what they are is there's some bully behind bars that won't take the time to recognize, okay, maybe there's something mentally wrong with this individual. I mean, because we've heard story after story on this show, people being diagnosed with schizophrenia, PTSD, things that are actually beyond their control that would cause them to react in a manner that may seem violent but they're really not violent people. But the go-to thing is, oh, we're, we're allowed to use force. We're allowed to beat you up. We're allowed to do whatever we want to do to you. We can handcuff you. We can watch you hang yourself, not feed you for days, pepper spray you, drag you around the jail, whatever we want to do because we have no fear of reprisal. We have no fear of somebody coming in here, putting us in check, and holding our feet to the fire for the things that we do because I guarantee if there was anything like that – a very high percentage of the guards in these facilities to include, like we mentioned, just county lockup where people haven't even been formally charged. Yep. Oh, they, they'd be serving citizens themselves. 
Well, my question is, where are the voices? Where are the voices of the outraged, of the folks that say, you know what? I've seen enough. I've heard enough. Uh, and I'm going to be a voice against this type of behavior. Uh, we're going to get into that discussion right now. We are honored right now to bring to our show Laura Goldman, uh, the Wall Street broker turned journalist, freelance reporter at the Daily Mail, freelance producer, booker at ABC News. And we are honored to have her presence on this show tonight. Laura, are you with us? Yes, I am. And I'm very eager to discuss these issues, especially after what happened in uh, uh, at MDC Brooklyn. Because I was at uh, another federal uh, detention center in um, Rhode Island that was worse. If, if, wow. And people need to know that this is the way the federal government treats its citizens. Well, absolutely. And guess what? We couldn't be more privileged and more honored uh, to have you. And your voice is, in, is definitely important. I'm going to give you the floor uh, and let you host right now as we go forward. Tell us the stories that well, have happened. Um, my, my story is a little crazy, so you know, <laughs> don't judge till the end, as they say. Absolutely. Um, yes. I was a stockbroker, and yes. um, I went to meet a client for dinner, and then he raped me, and later I threatened to kill him, and he was a billionaire, which many had – as much influence, he was a billionaire before there were billionaires every day. <laughs> so, um, you know, they didn't grow on trees back in the 90s. And he, um, he raped me, and I said that I wanted to um, cut off a certain part of his anatomy, yeah. uh, which I'm not sure you can say on the air. So they arrested me for threatening to kill him. And I was living in Israel at the time, and they spent uh, close to a million dollars to bring me back from Israel so that they could release me from jail to live in America. So, uh, you know, um, so uh, I never got, I was never sentenced with, um, I was never sentenced to jail. I was only detained, you know, pending disposition of my case. Mm -hmm. So you know how bogus it was, you know, to, to do that. And on the day I was uh, leaving, uh, you know, to get my final sentence and everything worked out, I hurt my um, ankle, and the jail, which was a Wyatt detention, which has a federal contract, which is where everybody from Connecticut to Maine in the federal system is detained. Um, mm -hmm. I hurt my ankle, and they would not take me to the hospital before court. And um, uh, I um, and they gave me a choice: either I go to the hospital and fix my ankle, or I go to um, court. So I went to court, not even being able to walk. And that's how they treat everybody. Um, while I was, go ahead. No, did they provide? So they didn't provide any type of assistance that a wheelchair, not even crutches. Not even a wheelchair. And then I was being released from court to home. This was in Boston, so I was released to Philadelphia. They didn't even release me with crutches, wheelchair, or any way to get home. You know, and I, 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 I you know, luckily people helped me or I never would have gotten home. 
You know, I got on the train. I couldn't even fly home because I couldn't get it through the airport. So I had to take a train home. And with an injured ankle. I mean, and I, I, I was, and I still to this day have a permanent limp from what happened. And no one has answered or been held accountable for that. Nope. So, you know, I'm just saying this happens, you know, and, and, and I don't want to um, uh, belittle anyone else's experience, you know, or, but I'm an, you know, I'm a white middle class lady and this happened to me. So can you imagine? And, and I have a big mouth as you can tell by now. So can you imagine what happens to everybody else? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so whatever you think is happening there, much worse is happening there. So, so you've lived this yourself personally. And let me say first, Laura, so sorry for what you went through uh, with that situation, with the sexual assault. Uh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Um, I don't know how much that does, but please know that, um, uh, we're sorry. No, it does. Yeah. You, because you know what? In the 90s when this all happened, nobody believed you. You know, there was no Me Too, Time's Up, uh, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, nobody believed you that these things happened. Right. So it matters to me that people say now to me, sorry it happened, because nobody was saying it to me back then. Okay. Well, I'm glad to glad to know that that, that means something. And well, let me ask you a question, Laura. It shows that you are definitely a voice. And 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 uh, what I presume the injustice that you saw, as we've been talking on this show, as far as the collateral damage of things, how family oh. members are affected by these these acts. Um, we were talking earlier about a gentleman that was murdered, we believe, at the Florence Prison Camp uh, here in Colorado. We believe by staff and guards. Um, that took this young man's life. He had two years to go on his sentence. And I'll tell you what, the mother called us asking for help. I talked to Billy a couple of weeks ago. Uh, son had two years, excited about getting out, and they put him in solitary confinement, uh, which they call the hole. Um, and he lost his life. Um he was excited. He told his mother before he died that he was scared to death. That uh, he thought I'm sorry. somebody was going. Thank you. Somebody was going to hurt him. We talk a lot on this program uh, about solitary confinement, the whole, the inhumane conditions. Yeah, I've been in there. I can tell you all about it. And I'm going to hear from. I'm going to hear from you. Go ahead. No, no, it's worse. Once again, it's more worse. It's worse than you imagine. When I first was arrested, uh, they tr- uh, um, I was suicidal. I was a wreck, I have to admit. And uh, I overdosed on the way to, to Danbury. So they flew me to, to um, uh, they flew me to Texas, to the medical center there. And they put me in the hole. And um uh, they have student uh they don't have actual people taking care of you i mean if you're if you were suicidal enough that they had to take you to the hospital to pump your stomach you would think that they would have doctors looking after you but they don't and that's the first mistake 
They basically have student uh, uh, trained prisoners watching. You know, and they didn't give, they, you know, I was, you know, in my opinion, uh, you know, a rape survivor, and they don't give you clothes because they're afraid that you're going to hang yourself. Right, you know? right. Yeah. And But that's humiliating. Um, yes, it is. Yes, I it mean, is. I understand what you're going to say is, is that there's a reason for it, but, uh, 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 you know, uh, you walk around naked for you know, in a cell by yourself for a couple of days and see how you feel. No, absolutely right. And, they, and, by, and you're going to say, and they don't do that to prisoners that's just there for punishment. I understand. But uh, uh, what they do is uh, their way of punishing you is not to let you take a shower. Right. You know, right, they only right. let you take a shower two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. And I, I really. If you're like I, I take sometimes showers twice a day. I mean, like everybody else, you know, if I'm going out at night and things, you can't imagine what a horrible thing is. And if there's a lockdown or something else and you don't get to take your shower, it's just a horrible, horrible thing. Uh, no, it is. They don't let you make phone calls, uh, you know, which sometimes the only thing that saved me from losing it was a phone call home or somewhere. And they don't let you do that. And, and, and there's no reason for it. Most of the people there, if they helped them, wouldn't need to be in that place. No, absolutely. And, Laura, what I'd like to say to you is that I salute you uh, for your courage in coming back uh, from this tragedy. This is a tragedy, and this is an impact yeah. that is never forgotten. And I see here as I look at some of the things that you've done uh, when you decide to become a reporter, you begin a career in journalism where you contributed to media outlets such as Good Morning America, ABC News, The Huffington Post, The Daily Mail. These are these are huge accomplishments. These but wait are to hear the best thing I did. Do you yes. know what the Clean Slate Act is? That was passed by it's Congress. It, it, no, that's it's a different. It was passed in Pennsylvania, but I want to take it nationwide, which is part of the reason. Okay. It's an act that automatically, you know, look, my record won't be expunged because uh, it was a felony, but right. there are many, many people who are just or or I would call hitchhikers in the system. They're only there for a right. short time. Maybe it's an arrest. Maybe it's, um, you know, it gets dropped down to a lesser charge. The Clean Slate Act, which Pennsylvania was the first in the nation to pass, but we're hoping to spread it nationwide, will automatically expunge all those records. Oh, wow. That's needed. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Pennsylvania passed it. There is a federal law. There's a federal version, which um, – and I brought in the conser- – I'm a liberal, so – but I worked with conservative groups like the Koch brothers, et cetera, to um, get the past in Pennsylvania. And my hope is to expand it to more and more crimes. You know, they, they you know the conservative uh, legislatures had troubles with – you know, certain offenses, and they didn't want violent and nonviolent, you know, and all this stuff. But it's the, it's the first step. And once we have data proving that it works, I think it'll be easier to expand and expand. So, and mm. so I've turned some of my experience into trying to do things that I feel, um, you know, will help other people that are locked in the system. Well, let me tell you right now. 
the fact that you were able to work with the Koch brothers, uh, work in Pennsylvania to get such a important uh, act that listen to me, that is that is commendable, well, Laura. That that tells you that somebody who went through something, who suffered what you suffered, who went through the battle, if you will, and the the horrible storms of injustice to come out and say, look, I am going to make a difference. That is a huge piece of legislation that without question, as the country is on the uh, conversation of prison reform and the things that we need to do to make it better, uh, I think it's, it's really the right time uh, to push what you have done. Uh, and I'm definitely want to, I'm going to be in touch with you offline that we might be able as an organization to work with you uh, in bringing this on the national stage. Uh, we are uh, in Washington, D.C. pretty frequently, meeting with members of Congress. Uh, we intend to do so here in the near future. I would like to take that as well uh, to the Hill as we talk to members about why prison reform is critically important. I think, I think what, you, what you've done and what you continue to do uh, is to be commended. And uh, uh, we definitely want to talk to you and work with you as an organization uh, to push this issue. That's, that that's is great. And, and we're doing stuff. Uh, I work and just, I don't want to, I'm a one man person. Okay. But community legal services in Philadelphia is a leader in these issues and I can put you in touch with them, but sure. we're doing stuff to get people back their licenses. You know, uh, you know, they, you come out of uh, jail and they say, do you need a job? But a lot of people can't get licenses. <laughs> That's right. And we're working on those kind of issues. We're working on custody issues. I mean, so, so many people that I was in jail with lost their children and can't get them back. And, and we're working on making sure that parental rights don't get revoked right away. You know, those aren't my particular, you know, pets. But, you know, we're working on all those kind of issues. Well, you're I work a worker. with the public defender in Philly, and she's also a national leader. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to, you know, do something, but it's a, yeah. you know, regardless of what everyone says, it's still an uphill battle. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Because whenever you fight against a cultural issue that's embedded in culture, uh, the battle is even that much, that much more difficult. But what I want to do, Laura, I'm going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Uh, I'd like to see how people can get a hold of you, of course. Uh, talk to you. I think your story is compelling. I think what you're talking about is critically important. Uh, and we wanted to see, and again, I'll be in touch with you offline for sure, but how our listeners can get involved and have the same passion that you bring to the table when it comes to fighting collateral damage of injustice. We're going to bring you right back here. Can you come back and we'll get a clo your closing okay. thoughts? And we're going to be right back with you. Ladies and gentlemen, AJC Radio, as we continue to discuss collateral damage of injustice, honored to have Laura Goldman uh, Wall Street broker turned journalist, as she just told her story, been through quite a bit uh, and has come out as a warrior, if you will, an advocate for justice. We'll get her closing thoughts after this. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. 
By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. We have a big problem and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters, our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime, it's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught, you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect, it's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration, historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. That's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioural problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. And there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with.
welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. As tonight we talk about uh, our continued series, Collateral Damage of Injustice, as we have begun to again expose the the horrific conditions in, a, in our prisons and jails and the impact on a nation, uh, on families, on churches, on community, really, uh, it continues to just be out of control. And really, really honored to have Laura Goldman tell a little bit about her story, what she has gone through. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, and is a voice now, a, a freelance producer, uh, booker at ABC News. She has been on Good Morning America as a contributor, um, as well as ABC News and the Huffington Post, Daily Mail. Uh, this is a woman who has come back from extreme odds uh, to be a voice in this, in this hour, in this time of our country, where injustice seems to be running rampant in the streets and in the courtrooms of America. Lord, thank you for coming back with us. We appreciate it. No, thank you. And, Laura, really quick, I want to ask you a couple of questions here as we've done a little bit of homework on you. Uh, you have – it says here you worked on um, stories that included uh, former President George W. Bush, a reaction to the capture of Osama bin Laden, uh, the Snowden data breach, Tangled finances of congressional candidate. Just uh, a few things that continue. You are on the. These are mainstream stories, if you will, that you are involved in. Uh, and I think we read somewhere where I believe it was was it Meek Mills uh, that was dealing with uh, some issues of injustice himself. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you involved in all of these t- type of situations. In, in the, the ABC stuff or the Meek Mills stuff. We'll, we'll go both, but we'll go in the order in which you want to go first. Oh, okay. Well, um, if I, I have a nose for news, and some of that comes from being a stockbroker. I know what moves stocks, so I kind of know what kind of news is important. And um, I heard that George Bush was going to be in um, uh, at a conference in Las Vegas, and I persuaded ABC to send me there. And I was, and and on stage, he was. It was right after the capture of Osama bin Laden. Nobody else knew about this conference. He was, you know, he got a speaking fee to uh, speak. And um, I think I read about it in the Wall Street Journal, which you know most ABC reporters, it's not their speak regularly. And um, I got him to say, uh, and he was eating souffle when uh, President Obama called to tell him that um, uh, 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 that Osama bin Laden had been captured and killed with okay. his wife in a restaurant in, in Houston. <laughs> but, wow. So, you yeah, know. That's, that's, um, that's good. Go ahead. And uh, I, with the, the Snowden thing, I, uh, uh, I was in charge of the, of the parents. So I met with his girlfriend's parents. I met with... Uh, Snowden's father, et cetera. And, you know, you know, when you talk about collateral consequences, I never saw people so they had no idea what was going to happen to their children and didn't even know what to do to help them. And I think that's the most important thing. You know, you know, with a parent and your child, you know, something happens with, you know, and you don't even know what to do or how you can help. Well, you know, now so with Meek Mill, um, yes. I'm a little, I, I, I you know, and, and please nobody take, you know, get angry at me or anything. I don't want him. And by the way, I don't want myself to be 
the face of criminal justice reform. There are more mm-hmm. symp- you know, sympathetic people. And what, why do I say that? You know, Rosa Parks wasn't the first person to insist on sitting on the bus in the right way, but she was the perfect symbol. Okay, and and I'm yeah. not, you know, and I I I'm afraid that people get caught in his unjust story, but it did start with a gun, and guns are never good. You know what I'm, you know, you know, people right. conservatives, and and I say this from the perspective of someone who lobbies uh, uh, Republican legislatures. Look, Pennsylvania has Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, but in the middle we call ourselves Pennsylvania. Okay, so, um, mm-hmm. you know, Meek Mill, a rapper riding around in a Rolls Royce, that's not going to convince them to change the laws. But I, I am very friendly with uh, Michael Rubin, who's the man behind, the money man behind all of this stuff. And I think he's a decent guy. I think that uh, many people think, and you, you probably know from your work, that it's so easy to fix you know, he's a high-tech guy who made his first billion in his 30s, you know. So he thinks, how can I not fix this? But as you know, it's a much more complicated uh, process, and people are in transient. I was at the, um, you know, I've been talking to him for months about this, and, um, I, you know, I'm not sure legislation is the only answer. It's one I'm working on because I'm a political junkie, so I know a lot of these people and have the contacts. Uh, I think that there uh, needs to be more lawyers trained, more public defender budgets, which does come from, you know, uh, political, uh, you know, pressure. Um, But they want to um, change probation laws. I found, from my personal experience, that jail was easy compared to probation. And, right. and, and I think Michelle Mill kind of has the same had the same awful experience. I'm not sure. saying jail is easy, so I don't want right. any way for anyone to think being locked up. I used to call myself I was in a kennel. I'm locked up in a little cage, you know. Right. Uh, so right. I don't want you to say in any way that that's easy. But I found that. The probation officers seen that their whole goal was to put you back. Right, right, correct. You know, they didn't really want to help me. And one of the ways in 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 in, in the federal system, which is one I know, the you know, it, I they it, I had no confidentiality with my therapist. So. Really? Uh, uh, in the federal system, if they at that time they were paying uh, my because I wasn't working, I wasn't I just gotten out. When they were paying for my mandated therapy, so I was in the catch twenty two. I had to go to therapy, and they were paying for it because I didn't even have insurance yet. I didn't have anything, you know, because I, you know, they uh, I had no confidentiality, and you know, on one hand they want you to get better, but how are you supposed to talk to someone who you know? Is talking to the person who can put you in jail. Well, absolutely. Um, you know. No, no, no. I I agree with you. I think I think the outrage with Meek Mills was I think in society, at least as the story began to make traction, uh, I believe that was about. Uh, I believe the conduct of the judge 
is where people became outraged. Listen, I I think that uh, he was put back in jail, but but it shows how easy you can be put back in jail. Sure. So absolutely, I I think he did a wheelie and and he traveled out of town or something without permission. But he had been fighting with that judge for a long time. Which you know, here's a guy who wants to go in concerts, okay? And they're telling him, no, 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 you can't earn a living. Okay, they did the same sure. thing to me. You know, yeah. I, you know, I'm in the media business. I came back to Philadelphia because that was my hometown. But most media jobs, like Good Morning America, are in New York and Washington. Okay, and they would not right. couldn't travel there for even for job interviews. So what? So Mike Mill was fighting with them to travel, but unfortunately, and and he was right. So. I am totally sympathetic to that. I meant that the start of his case in in Pennsylvania had to do with guns. Whether it's true or not, he disputes that it happened, but, you know, Republican legislatures in Pennsylvania are not sympathetic to gun crimes. You know, uh, so, I mean, you know, they don't let you travel for a job interview. They give you a hard time. They don't want to work. They don't, you know, they don't want, you see, they almost don't want you to succeed. No, no, I, listen. Know, in I, my case, you know, and, and, and so he, he wasn't allowed to go to concerts. Right. Now, how crazy yeah. is that? I mean, he's a, uh, uh, he needs to support himself and he has a large family, you know, you know, he was supporting his mother and his children and this and that, or his child, but you know, that's what they're like. And I just don't know the reason that there are so many travel restrictions, and someone should be asked to explain that. No, absolutely. In most cases, when you're dealing with that, if you're released, uh, all you got to do is submit something to the court. Tell the court, I will be, as long as you're forthcoming with them, where you're going. No, no, it's never that simple. Very rarely is it that simple. Well, in New York, it's it's not. I know in, in cases, I think what you run into with high-profile cases is the threat of, uh, because of the money and the financial advantage you have, uh, that you could leave the country, that you could go somewhere and not be found. I would presume that would have something to do with it in some cases, not all cases, but especially and in, when you're dealing with high-profile cases, you run into those issues. So I agree with you that whatever the issue was with this judge, uh, it got national attention that there was just some things that were unfair, uh, as you yeah, said. No, no. Go ahead. He was treated unfairly, but he fought with the judge. And, you know, the number one rule I always tell people, you know, when they're going to court is, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. You know what I mean? <laughs> so meaning no, that uh, the judge is, always, you know, like uh, when I was a stockbroker, the client was always right. But in this case, the judge is right. No, the judge was wrong, but he antagonized her, and that and that's the. Uh, uh, I, I once I, had a judge of the kid. Say it again. Say it again. No, please go ahead. Oh, oh, oh! oh uh, I, I once had a judge who canceled my my uh, hearing. Uh, he had to move, move. even though I even had traveled all the way to Boston for the hearing. You know, wow. you know, they're kings, they're kings. and maybe, and maybe that's, the that's the problem. Prosecutors are not challenged, and neither and are neither judges. And that's a problem in this society right now. And, uh, Laura, listen, I'm going to be in touch with you offline. 
I think you got a lot to say, a lot to educate and to inform our listeners and people around the country. Definitely, again, we'll be in touch with you offline. How can folks get a hold of you if they need to reach you as they join in your efforts to fight injustice? Oh, great. Oh, I would great. love it. And my and Twitter my is Twitter at gmail.com. And my Twitter is Laura S. Golden. Okay, and then S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-S-
or a regional level. Whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is the close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. She's coined a new term for the times we're living in. Brace for it, parents of America. Alternative facts. Alternative facts. Look at Oh, what? Alternative facts? Lies. Stupid. Also known as stereotypes or false narratives. It's like saying black history began with slavery. That's offensive. Or that we'll never see another black president in our lifetime. What about me? This Black History Month, we're focusing on the facts, not on our facts. Indisputable. Truth. Real. Black girl magic is real. Black boy joy is real. Black wealth is real. Black beauty is real. Black support is real. Black excellence is real. It's real. Black love, that's real. Black lives are real. I'm real. Black history didn't begin with slavery, and it doesn't end with the Obama, whom we love and miss. No, like, really, we really miss you. Facts. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we 
bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, folks, as we continue the series Collateral Damage of Injustice, we had the privilege of talking to Lauren Goldman, uh, broker-turned-journalist, freelance reporter at Daily Mail, freelance producer, booker at ABC News, and uh, has given some insight. I had no idea uh, until she began to unravel uh, what she suffered. Uh, you're talking about it. it. Samson sounded like a, you're going into court, you, you fall, you break your ankle, but you can't walk. She began to explain that just the inhumane treatment she gets after all of that is dropped off. She cannot walk. She said, she made a good point. I'm a middle-aged white woman, and this happened to me. So it tells you one thing. Injustice has no uh, filter, if you will. It affects everybody of every walk of life. Uh, when you heard our talk, Samson, your thoughts on that? Oh, you can definitely tell. I mean, just by her description, it, injustice is definitely colorblind. It don't care who you are. It don't care where you come from. It don't care anything about that. What it matters, what what it does to people is it irreparably damages them. You know, she talks about, you know, the stuff that, the great stuff that's going on in Pennsylvania with that, uh, the Clean Slate Act. But awesome. that's, it is awesome. But I think that's just one state out of the entire right. nation. The, the entire nation. But I mean, we have people that are being, I mean, they're wrongfully convicted, but they can't get out. They can't get a license. They can't get all kinds of things that would help them to reintegrate into society, which is ultimately what they they want to do. No, no, absolutely right. We're going to get Kendrick, I'm going to get your thoughts, Dennis, yours as well. Let's let's bring our next guest on. She's been waiting for a moment. Grace Price is joining us. Uh, she is uh, definitely someone who uh, is dealing with uh, uh, and has dealt with injustice uh, in this system. We appreciate her. Grace, are you with us? Hi, Lamont. Hi, here I am. Good evening. Thank hey, you for having me. No, you're very welcome, and thank you for calling in and I don't know how much of the show you've heard thus far. It's troubling. It's heart-wrenching. It's just, I don't know. We could probably go the entire year with stories of injustice, collateral damage of injustice, and, and continue to have material. Uh, that's how bad it is. So I'd like you to introduce yourself to our listeners, and we're going to talk to you about what you've dealt with and what your thoughts are as a result of, uh, as we get into this topic and continue to talk about this topic, collateral damage of injustice. Go ahead, please. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm calling in from New York City, but you should know that I grew up in Colorado Springs, where your show is broadcast from. And oh, I was listening. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I actually miss Colorado Springs. And the topic of your show, collateral damage, for me, when I think about collateral damage in my life, I think about Colorado Springs, because that was home for me. But... Mm-hmm. Even though my family is still there, there's no place for me in Colorado Springs. And mind you, my brief detention on Rakers Island in full dismissals two and a half years later after I was charged, but the power of criminality still ruined all of my familial relationships in one way or another. And I want to come back around to that, but I I wanted to talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about what took me to Rikers Island as a daughter of Colorado Springs. But I wanted to just to say how fascinated I was in listening to Laura Goldman's story. Um, I really thank your booker. You've got a great booker on that show because you found a real gem. And I, 
I heard her story, and there are a lot of parallels between what brought her, she, and I to the criminal injustice system. Um, yes. First of all, it was, it was sexual abuse in both of our cases that drew us to have contact with law enforcement. <clears throat> and, you know, people talk about the school-to-prison pipeline. Let's talk about the sex assault-to-prison pipeline. Mm-hmm. Because so many survivors are re-victimized by the criminal injustice system. And it, 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 so many different things that she said kind of made me laugh out loud during her time on air with you. I really feel like, you know, probably the worst thing that anyone in the prison industrial complex can be doing right now is, is putting white lady reporters behind bars because <laughs> they really picked the wrong person to, to put behind bars when they put Laura Goldman behind bars, I tell you. And sure. I, also myself, I have a background in journalism. I had been working in various fashions as editor, photojournalist, you know, um, photo editor, um, all kinds of different things, in, jobs in media in New York City before my false arrest and in, incarceration on Rikers Island. Um, I, I had been sexually abused by a person who, in one way or the other, just like Laura's abuser, um, was connected. He didn't have wealth, but he had relationships with law enforcement in various fashions. And, um, I mean, I guess to put it bluntly, he was a snitch. He um, helped law enforcement make all kinds of huge um, gang, quote-unquote, gang busts in Harlem. And it was his assistance that allowed different prosecutions to to happen. And when I went forward needing help getting away from that relationship with him because it had become life-threatening. There, there had been domestic violence incidences ramping up, and I kept hoping that they would stop. But one night I woke up after he had choked me out, and I barely woke up after that incident, and he had thrown me through a fish tank, and I needed stitches all through my genitals and my my rear and my... Uh, you know, they're all just, it was a horrifying experience, and that really woke me up that I needed to get out of that relationship. But he wouldn't let me go because of his relationship with law enforcement. He knew that basically he could do no wrong with them uh, because he was integral to various prosecutions. Um, so I'm kind of a, um, a thoughtful, loud person. And uh, I was a 9-11 survivor who was connected. I, I knew the politicians that had helped start the 9-11 Survivors Health Fund, and I reached out to them. And I, I got a lot of different people to advocate for me and got all my charges dismissed and sealed, but some really horrible things happened to me on Rikers Island. And so I, I eventually got all of the charges dismissed and sealed, and have been working because I had been working in journalism up until that point. I, ever since that day when I walked off Rikers Island, I've been working to um, to air the stories of what happens on that island because no one even spoke about Rikers Island. There were maybe two stories printed a year, maybe three stories printed a year in the combined local tabloids about Rikers Island. I mean, nothing was ever said. So we've been working really hard to talk specifically lately, and I thank you very much for having my uh, my partner, Kathy Morse, on your show to talk about 
women's incarceration and detention and what we've been doing to try and close Rosie's, the Rosen Singer Center on Rikers Island, the all-female jail there. Um, and that's what I've been paying most of my attention to lately, as well as I have a lawsuit against the city for what they did to me, and I've been making progress and having some small victories along the way. So, um, but as far as my family, you know, it's so hard just to try and explain to you what happened to me. I have an unbelievable story, just like Ms. Goldman has. Um, And nobody wanted to believe that these kind of things can happen in New York. You know, law and order is based out of what fictionally happens in our our criminal courthouse here. And people believe that all of the district attorneys are these really great people who do really great. They roll the dice on people and they, they stack the the court file. And I was lucky. I got everything dismissed and sealed. The only thing I was accused of doing was harassing my batterer. But um, in New York at the time, there was um, a criminal harassment statute that has since been struck down as unconstitutional that said, if you annoy or harass someone electronically, that that can be a criminal act. Um, and that's just if they find something that you send them offensive, that you've sent them electronically, which is ridiculous. I mean, I know a guy named Lauren Michaels who produces a television show called Saturday Night Live every week. And certainly those electronic broadcasts annoy and alarm the people that he parodies, but you don't see the NYPD chasing him down the street. Um, the things I was accused of saying to my my partner were very benign. They, I didn't even make threats even near to the level that Ms. Golden made. Um, I said things like, I want my, my car back. And I, I you know, I, I called them maybe a, you know, a few bad words, nothing untoward, you know, like a, the B word or the C word or something, you know, but, right. but, those are the kind of things that they can criminalize and they can do whatever at the time they could do whatever they wanted to do to stack the deck against me. Um, and I just thought this is all, this is far too easy. Uh, and I met in Rikers Island so many women whose initial contact with the criminal non-justice system was because they were being pimped, trafficked, beaten, abused, stolen from, you know, there are all kinds of women that were there because they had in some fashion or another some cop boyfriends, some district attorney boyfriends, some law firm boyfriends, some one on the board of directors at Columbia, some man whose mother worked for the mayor's office. You know, like there was always some story about why we were sitting on Rikers Island. Um, but uh, our charges were all very benign. Um, even to this day, the women that sit on Rikers Island. 38% of them, 30-something percent of them are, are charged with misdemeanors versus the men on Rikers Island, only 6% of them that are, are pre-trial, not guilty detainees uh, awaiting trial, only 6% are there on misdemeanors. So there's this huge disparity, A, and why we end up, and then what happens to us there, that's, that's a whole other story. But just try explaining all this to your parents who raised you on the edge of Cheyenne Mountain and never had any problems with you. And in fact, I really was the good kid who always was sort of the rock in the crutch in my family. So imagine trying to explain to your parents 
you know, what what has happened to you? And I actually waited to tell my parents what happened to me until I got all the charges dismissed and sealed because I knew that I would. And I, I knew that they wouldn't believe me unless um, I had everything already taken care of. And even at that point, uh, the level of incredulity from my parents was heartbreaking. Uh, my mother actually said to me at one point in 2012 from her big house up on Altair Lane there in Colorado Springs, she said to me, oh, well, you know, the Manhattan District Attorney doesn't make mistakes like this. There must be part of the story that you're not telling me. And she said, you're not welcome to come back to my family until you take responsibility for what happened to you. And I just was so upset by that after the fight that I had waged to get these charges dismissed. And then subsequently, the entire statute that I was charged with was deemed unconstitutional and stricken from the New York State Constitution. I thought that I, you know, would sort of be lauded as the daughter that had fought hard for herself and, and made this great victory and didn't trouble her family with burdening them with the horrors she was going through. But instead I was treated like a pariah and not welcome back. And that has a lot to do too with who my parents are, you know, they're, they live on the edge of Shine Mountain. Let's be clear. They're upper middle class white people, but those are the people that we need to reach when it comes to, to, jail and prison criminal justice reform. Those are the people that we need to be pushing our lawmakers to, to change our laws for bail reform, for all the different kinds of as Laura was saying, people are fighting to get um, higher caps on when your children get taken away from you as you're awaiting trial. I agree with you. all kinds of problems with um, um, women's incarceration, but I, said, I, but I just want to sum up and thank you for giving me so much anyway, but I was interested I was to come on to your show, show and to talk show. about specifically the collateral damage. Collateral people, damage. People, people don't people think that women can be sucked into the criminal justice system and, and even the few of us that are exonerated and we get out without charges of time and we get declared not guilty to collateral damage for us because of the shame on our families or, or Maybe they people still don't want to believe our stories because they don't want to believe that what happened to us can happen to them as easily. Maybe that's part of it too. But my story, and I, I, I don't think that it gets aired enough that there are, are all kinds of other broken, familiar damages, familiar relationships that are damaged by their criminal justice. No, absolutely right, uh, Grace. I'll tell you what. Um, your story is heart wrenching, and this is what we talk about with collateral damage. The injustice that you suffered, ultimately, because of the lack of knowledge by your parents about the system, created a problem between you and your family. This is why I say, again, Society believes that let – me, let me share this with you very quickly. And first, first of all, let me say I'm so sorry for what you endured. As I said to Laura, I'm so very sorry uh, for what you have gone through. The pain is evident in your voice, but the passion and the fight to fight on is also present. That is to be admired, but the pain of it 
is why we have this show. We started this series, Grace, a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was, uh, a few weeks ago, as the sudden death of my sister, Lawana Banks-Clark, took place, 56 years old, passed away suddenly. Uh, to what we believe, she suffered a huge injustice, not only her, but her family, that we as an organization are still fighting to uh, bring justice to who we call the IRP5. Her brother is one of those men. Uh, she suffered a massive clot uh, that spread in the brain, ultimately taking her life. The doctor said to us when this event happened, was, was your sister under any type of stress? Was she upset about anything? Very much so. As she was an advocate, as we are on AJC Radio and a Just Cause organization, seeing the injustice, walked the halls of Congress with me uh, and, and our colleagues up there in Washington, fighting for justice and fighting against a system that had done her wrong, but also her brother and five other men who she considered family. Luana Banks-Clark I, is no longer... I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Please, Grace. I didn't mean to interrupt, especially as you were invoking her name. I beg your pardon. I just wanted to say that I have been reading about your advocacy for the IRP5, and I just... I just have to say that there's so many horrible things about that case that went on. And off the record, I, those guys were so unlucky. I mean, look at, at the time that they were launching. They had all these other companies trying to do the same thing, like Palantir, who didn't want competition. The, the, the companies that had invoices out probably had a lot of government operatives working in them. I mean, look, they were staffing companies that were creating, giving jobs to, you know, thousands of workers across the technosphere and and that area of the country. I mean, there's just so many different, they were caught in so many different streams and and cast away. And and people say, oh, well, that's not my problem. That will never happen to me. You know, that's that's just a one-off thing. Well, Well, exactly what people said, about the IRP5, they said about me the exact same thing. Oh, well, what happened to you? You know, that, that's just, that could never possibly happen to me. And, you know, Grace, it's complicated. Grace, hold that thought. We're having some technical uh, issues. we got a bit of really loud echo on your phone. Um, what phone are you on, by the way? I beg your pardon? I said, we're having an echo, technical difficulties in the studio. So we're going to take a quick oh, break, come back oh. and try to get rid of that echo. We're going to try to uh, make sure we're doing it on our end. Are you on speakerphone or are you actually on the actual uh, phone itself? Are you like, no, you're not I'm, on, I'm on a phone. Okay. So we're going to come right back. Stay with us. We're going to bring you back. We're going to try to fix this uh, echo problem. We want to make sure because I believe what you're saying is critically important. We don't want to miss none of that. So we're going to come right back with you, okay, as we check this as far as a technical issue, okay? Thank you. Okay. We'll be right back. That is Grace. Price joining us. Let's see what's going on uh, with technical issues right now. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? 
Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. The racial composition of the prison population in the United States is very different from the population at large. If people are worried about inequality in America today, I think this deserves more attention in the discussion. Racial inequality in the criminal justice system gets ignored because it doesn't affect most people. In 2010, over 1.6 million people were in state and federal prisons within the United States. So 497 out of every 100,000 Americans were in jail, about half of 1%. Less than 1%. That doesn't seem very large, but... When you separate that population by race, you recognize that the personal effects of the criminal justice system are very unequally shared throughout our society. Whites make up 64% of the total population, but only 31% of the incarcerated population. Blacks represent 18% of society, but 36% of the prison population. Hispanics are 16% of America, but 24% of the American prison population. Less than one in a hundred Americans are currently in jail, but for some races, genders, and age groups, that ratio is a lot larger. For example, if you're young, black, and male, it's closer to about one in four. That means you'd have a higher probability of going to jail than of getting married or going to college. These results are unequal and problematic as poor black communities lack so many of their members. But what can be done? The causes of this trend are undoubtedly complicated and multi-causal. But there is reason to suggest that part of the blame is our criminal justice system itself. In the ways police officers enforce laws, in the ways that laws are written and prosecuted, and more. In many cases, it is not overt racism by individual actors. Many police officers, prosecutors, and judges are undoubtedly trying to be fair and trying to do the right thing. But economics can explain how unequal enforcement of the criminal law happens anyway. This is because the political and bureaucratic structure of the criminal justice system creates perverse incentives. The formal laws surrounding drug prohibition, for example, are written as if to be colorblind. 
but people with different levels of wealth face different costs and benefits to participating in the drug trade. Different groups consume different drugs at different rates, and lastly, those groups are politically represented in very different quantities. Thus, they are arrested and incarcerated at very different rates. How could minority groups hope to use the political process to fix inequality when they are systematically over-incarcerated and disenfranchised? Despite noble intentions, politics often does not affect the basic incentives of costs and benefits faced by political or citizen actors. We might need a new approach to social change if we are going to address these problems. We definitely need more study into the causes of inequality, and we should admit that radical changes might be both necessary and preferable to the status quo. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. Our series continues, The Collateral Damage of Injustice. And I'll tell you what, this has been one show that has been heart-wrenching. Uh, down to Laura Goldman, Grace Price. Horrific examples of collateral damage of injustice. And uh, our hearts go out to uh, Grace. They go out to Laura and all the victims uh, in this country of sexual assault, of issues of mistreatment in our jails, in our prisons, to the families, to those who are affected. As Samson said so beautifully, the indirect target and the people that have been affected by this. Grace, are you with us? I'm Grace, here. Grace, are you there? And uh, we're going to see momentarily if that echo has left. Uh, we'll see here momentarily. And uh, I think what you have to say is so critically important. Uh, we do not want any type of uh, problem with the folks out there listening uh, to not hear what you have to say. I think what you have to say is critically important. And I thank you for sharing that. I do want to um, give you an opportunity. I don't know if that's tonight. Probably um, we're going to be doing this series of collateral damage for uh, the foreseeable near future, of course, uh, if you're comfortable. I would like to hear some of the stories uh, and some of the things that have happened inside of Rikers behind that wall that I think is critically important that should be told, uh, but only at the point that you are comfortable with. Um, I think the folks that have endured such abuse uh, should be heard. Um, but I think what you're sharing with us and how your family has treated you uh, as a result of, again, uh, uh, this act of injustice you should have people supporting you, loving you, being there to say, look, we're with you. Uh, and I'm sorry for all that you've had to endure up to this point. Your thoughts on that? I, I thank you for your sympathy. I really, uh, I appreciate it. I try very hard to support the stories of others um, and to give them voice uh, because at some point along the line, someone helped me get my voice. And, um, I, I really think that your advocacy around the IRP5 
is essential. And I feel so related to those gentlemen who are locked up in Florence, Colorado, because people say when they find out about their case, oh, well, that's just a one-off horrible injustice. That could never happen to me. But these Byzantine justice systems have a way of closing around all of us. Um, and there's there's nothing directed about them at some time. At, at some point, they're they're solicitous that well, the hand what? of injustice, you guess know, what, really, really knows. No, what? Guess what? You like you have been moved. I didn't even know you were reading up on the RP five. That's that's amazing. Uh, that you felt compelled to let's go out here. That tells me a lot about you as a person. To say, look, we're and the the empathy you have for these men, that that's that's awesome. That's refreshing to hear because you know what, people act like they just don't care. A lot of people do, but I think a lot of people do care who read their story. My guess, what point was this? Kendrick Barnes, one of the men who are the IRP five, is in studio. He's part of this show now. Uh, I'd like you to say hello to him. He's going to say hello to you and thank you as well uh, for your interest and care for what they've gone through. Kendrick. Yeah, I want to thank you, Grace, for uh, your kind words about our case. Uh, and I'm glad for AJC because it gives both of us a voice. And I understand in this position, people don't understand the importance of being believed because they think that, uh, like, again, it's, it's a one-off scenario. It's not a one-off. It's just that we took the opportunity with AJC Radio to tell this story. And there's so many others out there that are voiceless that we don't know that they're being railroaded and, and steamrolled by this system. And your story is one of them. It sounds, if people hear it initially, they hear your story and Laura's story, and it may sound fantastic. But this is the norm in this country. This is the norm of the justice system. And people like you and Laura and AJC Radio are helping getting that message out there. And I really want to thank you for being on the show tonight. Kendrick, I, I beg your pardon. I, I... I knew that there was a guest, uh, another host, but I didn't realize that you were part of the IRP five. I clearly didn't read up closely enough to put your, the the names together. Please, I may or culpa. Um, no uh, problem. I, I I really can't fathom what it's like being you. I I just can't fathom what it's like to be behind bars and know that you're innocent and know that there were all of these different forces that kind of combined. I, I don't. I. God bless you and 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 your fight. I I have so many ideas about probably what happened to close in on you, but this this show isn't about that. It's about collateral damage. I'm sure you have your own families and and it, I'll, I'll tell you the one thing maybe you and I could could talk about is don't you hate it that you're innocent and all these people try and lay all kinds of other things on you because. <laughs> They have nothing to do with you, and they might not not even be criminal. They might just be petty, like cultural behavioral things among social circles. But they try and peg all these other grudges on you because they know you have these criminal justice problems. Or I hate to um, to lighten the matter by saying problems, but you know that that's another part of the, the collateral damage is that you really have to be so guarded because people will always use against you. Uh, and punctuate every sentence um, with the fact that you have this criminal justice contact or guilty or, or detention in my case. And they'll always cast this pallor against you. It drives me nuts. 
Yeah, and why that's allowed is because the this system is geared to vilify the victim because they're not going to admit that they were wrong. So I have to continue to vilify you, vilify anyone that's been wrongly convicted because they're not going to admit that we made a mistake. So it's easier just to keep this this boogeyman of of a convicted felon or where whatever your issue is to keep that into the public mind so that it's okay to forget about you. It's okay to think what they want about you, but it's important that people understand that this could be any one of us right now. This could be your family member. And that's one thing I, I, I appreciate this show is because it gives me that opportunity to be a voice to the other IRP five members that are still incarcerated and someone needs to be able to tell their story too, you know, Somebody needs to tell them that they're they're human beings just like you and me, and they didn't do anything wrong, and that someone needs to cry out and say, you know what? If this isn't taken seriously, this is going to grow and grow and grow because the the more you allow this to just fester, eventually it's going to hit the right person or the wrong person, and change is going to happen. Have you had a I, hallelujah from your lips to God's ears? Have you had a lot of luck in getting your family members to support you and to to, to cry out for you and to advocate for you? Uh, I've been fortunate that uh, my family, I mean, they, they've followed our case from the beginning. So I've been very fortunate that our family and we have a very strong church community that know me. And that's the important is that they know me as a person. They've, they've watched me grow up as a man to, and know that that's not my character. So it was not a, a difficult thing on my point to have family support. And that's one thing I am really grateful for is that you have people that trust and know you and, and we're there to vouch for you. So I've always had a strong family community that kept us in arms. And that's why uh, even the ones that are still incarcerated, there's a lot of support there to make sure that their story of innocence is known. And that's why uh, Luana Clark, uh, the tragedy happened there. She was so involved, so emotionally attached to this and to, Tell the truth and not be believed is it was it's just it's a lot to take. God rest her soul. That's one of my biggest fears is that one of my family members will die before we resolve this bridge, this gap that can't seem to be bridged between us. Um, I'm so sorry for um, your loss. No, thank you for that, uh, Grace and. Uh... I'll tell you what, I want to have you back on our show. Uh, I think you have a lot to tell. We haven't even scratched the surface, I don't believe. But your story tonight has been compelling. Uh, Kenneth Barnes, um, went through a lot. I grew up with Kendrick most of my life. Uh, We have another advocate for justice. And many times we cannot become the advocates we need to be until we have suffered at the hand of injustice. Kenneth Barnes is the prime example of that. And uh, I'm appreciative of your gratitude to him, your uh, admiration for Kenneth Barnes and the IRP5. These are men of integrity. We will not rest till justice is found. And uh, we appreciate your voice on this matter as well. Uh, We'd like to extend that invitation to you. Uh, to come back and join us on this show. I'll be in touch with you offline. My information is being sent. You probably already have my information. Uh, I'd like to talk to you more. I've reached out to Kathy Morris tonight uh, to speak with her as well as both of you as we continue um, 
to fight for justice. And a shout definitely out to folks to follow Close Rosies uh, on Twitter. To all of our listeners out there, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. As I mentioned, um, Kathy Morse, who's a, a frequent voice uh, on your radio show, and I decided that we needed to shift the conversation about closing Rikers, the notorious jail off the coast of New York City, to be about closing Rosie's, the all-female jail. The Rosem Singer Center is one of the 11 jail complexes on Rikers Island. And okay. I, I have to tell you, we've successfully shifted the conversation. People are now talking about closing Rosie's. And you can find <laughs> us at Close Rosie's on Twitter or www.closerosies.org. Again, Kendrick Lamont. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. Okay, it's been our honor, and we're, we're honored to have you. Uh, we look forward to talking to you further. We'll be in touch with you. Uh, and you are in the New York area? Manhattan. Manhattan, okay. Um, okay, uh, we're going to be in touch. Uh, we're headed for nation's capital in the near future. We'd like to talk to you perhaps about that, some things we're doing, and how we can work together uh, to bring justice around this land. Thank you so much. We will be in touch. You've been an honor and privilege. Uh, to have on this show tonight. Have a good rest of your night, okay? Good night. All right. There you have it, folks. Grace Price. Wow. Fascinating young woman. Um, Kendrick, y'all related very, very quickly. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, once you've been through this, it's kind of like a sad uh, brotherhood, sisterhood. That's what it is. And, And you don't know that it's this bad until... You're up under it. And that's the sad part is if the average person knew that this was so unfair before they got, they were a victim of it, things could change. And that's why I think it, it, it's an importance that the message gets out. It has to be fixed. This this from the justice system to the prisons to how families are treated. It has to be fixed. No, absolutely. And folks, we as this show has developed. Uh, yes, we need a four or five hour show uh, to get the information in. Uh, that's impossible given the time restraints that we have. But next Tuesday, uh, we'll be focusing on two stories of injustice, of collateral damage. AJC Radio will talk about the life and the situation of injustice for Joyce Ann Brown. We're going to have that interview for you next week, uh, as well as the Michael Anderson tragedy. Um, and their family, the interviews we held there. We're going to have both part one, part two, possibly even the uh, interview with Billy Anderson, uh, with Natalie Cohen. We got some good stuff. Michael Anderson, let me make it clear, murdered at Florence, Colorado uh, Federal Prison Camp. Um, And uh, his son was the collateral damage of that injustice. 19 years old, shot himself dead as a result of the death of his father. We're going to deal with all of that next week. And let's get some closing thoughts right now of our host uh, of what this show meant. This this show took a, a drastic turn. Laura Goldman, a huge voice. Um, my understanding is talking to uh, our research team has reached out. Uh, they're wanting to join with AJS Calls and AJC Radio. Uh, Laura Goldman having the the resume, if you will, that she has of being a voice. Uh, to bring attention to situations and stories that need to be brought. I think this is absolutely awesome. Uh, you to use your words kindly. Dennis, your thoughts on this one. And it is awesome. Uh, when you think about uh, Laura Goldman and uh, 
uh, Kelly Grace uh, Price, uh, the thing that came to mind was if I were them, I would say, look at me now. And, and it t- I'm sure they went through a lot, but look at me now. Look what I'm doing to make a difference. And I tell you, just listening to them tonight has made a difference for me. Samson, uh, I just, uh, my hat's off to everyone there. Kendrick, uh, our two guests this evening, I mean, you, it really shows that they, they took a bad situation, and but they're using it. They're using it to be advocates. They're using it to help get the word out. And now we're having, you know, people that, you know, these whole different groups that, okay, we thought we were alone pushing towards a, uh, a goal, and now we're starting to come together, and more groups are starting to come together, and it's starting to gain gain steam, gain momentum, and I, I hope and pray that it just keeps going until it reaches the hill and something changes. Kendrick, your, close, your closing thoughts on this one. I just hope that our two guests uh, realize that this is a good fight and that they chose the wrong people to do wrong. Absolutely. To keep using your voice to make change. It will change. We're going to make it change. As long as we keep going, don't give up. It may happen in our lifetime, may not, but we're going to get that change. Well, absolutely right. Ladies and gentlemen, the voice of Kendrick Barnes, one of the RP5 survivors of injustice, a voice for AJC Radio and a Just Cause organization, uh, will continue to be a voice here uh, as we collectively come together. Uh, to make a dif- uh, to make a difference and uh, wow that's all I mean what do you say to this one um, ladies and gentlemen again we're here every Tuesday night 8 p.m. Eastern to 10 p.m. Eastern time uh, tell your friends family everybody you know to call into this show uh, we welcome your thoughts we welcome your comments and all the things that uh, you want to add because everybody definitely has a voice uh, and we need to definitely address that voice. Uh, David Rosen, he is a uh, retired um, major in the United States Air Force. It's been brought to our attention of some huge injustices that happened to this officer, uh, major in the United States Air Force. We're talking about an officer of high regard. Uh, There's a saying, I believe, Samson, Dennis, you can help me with this. You never leave a comrade in harm's way. Uh, in the time of trouble, battle, you don't leave them in harm's way. Yeah, you got it. Major, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I'm saying you got it. You, ne- you never leave anyone behind. And it looks like in this case with uh, uh, Major, Officer Major Dave Rosen, they did just that. Uh, we're going to take this issue all the way to Capitol Hill on this on this officer. Uh, I've had an opportunity to talk with, with David. Uh, high regard for this man. And it tells you, as we said earlier, the wheels of injustice go to every part and every walk of life. And you will hear more about his story uh, in the weeks, in the months to come as we fight for justice for him. Um, I think it's critically important. This show and all our shows are dedicated to the IRP5 who are wrongfully convicted. Uh, Kendrick Barnes, of course, joining the team here. Um, but also includes Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart who are standing in the world of integrity. These are men of integrity that said before we lie 
or make something up just to walk out of a prison cell. We stand for what's right. Kendrick Barnes is a product of that and now becomes a voice as we all become a voice for those that suffer injustice. Uh, this show is dedicated to them. And let me say this as we approach um, on Thursday, the three month anniversary, I believe of, of the death of Luana Banks Clark, my sister, uh, we bid her a farewell, but she was also collateral damage of injustice, ultimately taking her life. We will keep that fight alive. We'll keep her memory alive as we continue to search for justice around the world. This is Agency Radio. Good night, America. Till next time, we'll see you. Take care.